I feel like I could talk for days about trees alone. This is episode 32 of the Get In My Garden podcast. I'm Aaron Moskowitz, and today we visit again with John Romans, owner of Future Roots Regenerative Landscapes based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He answers our questions about trees, weeds, and what to do in winter, how to build soil and continue to think about our gardens and landscaping during the winter months. John introduces the idea of a different tree-focused perennial agricultural model to feed ourselves and our farm animals, how to use trees to stop erosion and to plan your landscaping properly, methods for farming dry lands and managing water intelligently, and so much more. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave positive reviews on iTunes if you like the show. Also, it's really helpful if you share your favorite episodes on social media and within relevant Facebook groups. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy our chat. You know, some things that we were talking about before, as far as winterizing the garden, um, is putting down, you know, a nice layer of mulch for everything, leaving your leaves and letting those compost. And if you want to chop them up with some sort of device, lawnmower or what have you, that's always a good thing. It'll, it'll speed up the decomposition. But, you know, you don't want to be hiring someone. Like, I encourage all of my clients to not hire me to remove their leaves and, uh-huh. you know, take them to the dump, which I would, would usually just take them to my place and throw them in the compost pile anyways but uh you know and it's kind of getting over that aesthetic of tidiness you know we're kind of drawn to that but sometimes just letting things go and kind of observing as far as cutting back you know what dies completely back what's producing seed what seeds are drying at what time you know if you're Mm -hmm. harvesting seeds and things like that in the fall which is another thing that you can do and then you also were mentioning leaving leaves there like on Mm -hmm, plants mm -hmm. too so yeah yeah like if if i have a client that has a patio or something like that i'll blow them all into the beds where the plants are growing and you don't want to smother the plants but you know they'll definitely appreciate the extra nutrients and the extra cover the leaves will kind of act like a sponge through the winter when they get saturated with rain or snow or depending on your climate Mm -hmm. but the precipitation will kind of absorb into that organic matter and then it'll be a slower release for the plants and almost like a layer of insulation on top too yeah, and I heard also that there's a lot of microbial activity, so yes, that's going to really help, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you do you recommend people water on top of that? You can. You don't necessarily want to be watering when the ground's totally frozen solid. Um, it's probably not going to go down very far if it's that cold. It can also cause, if the ground is too saturated and then you get a really hard freeze, you know, so paying paying attention to the weather channel or whatever, um, but you can get frost heave, which can, which can actually push your plants out of the ground as the ground contracts and expands with temperature so that's another thing to be mindful of you know like uh, would that be like bulbs and rhizomes and things it can be anything a lot of times it's new plantings you oh, know, I something see. that's not as well rooted in where it's just kind of a root ball coming out of a pot from a nursery or something like that oh, okay so that's from too much water it gets in there and it just like ejects it out of the ground yeah yeah well just kind of like being mindful of when you're watering how much you're watering I'm like i like to do a really slow soak on all of my trees uh, especially fruit trees if you're interested in utilizing any of that fruit at the end of the summer whenever that happens um, you want to make sure that they're hydrated through the winter um, so probably every three to four weeks i would give them a good good long soaking is there anything like an, an inoculation that you would do for fruit trees in the winter I mean, you can do, they make a lot of different like granulated mycorrhizae uh, kind of concentrates where it's a whole bunch of different strains all packed into one. Like I think you were mentioning the other day that a lot of plants have a specific association that they would make with 
a particular strain or, or species of mycorrhizae. Right. And so kind of that one size fits all where they pack a lot of different stuff into one supplement, especially if it's a densely planted bed or something like that. If you have shrubs and ground covers and trees all in one. You mean get one of those products that has like a big spectrum of yeah, fungi in there and then yeah. they throw it on there. And yeah. And, and when, if you're mulching, I would throw the, you know, the mycorrhizal supplement down first and then mulch on top or leaves on top, you know, whatever your preference is. And that's the other thing. That's with, probably just a generally good tip, huh? Yeah. 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 And kind of going back to the leaves, you can always put the leaves on your bed and then put some nice looking mulch on top. If it's really going to get you aesthetic wise to, to see all those messy leaves laying around all winter, then you can, you can always touch it up and put a little topping of whatever your choice of mulch or gravel or what have you. So what's, what can you talk more about trees? I know you're reading a great book about trees. Yeah. Tree crops by J. Russell Smith. It's a very interesting perspective on trees and, and kind of the agroforestry mentality of, of really using trees to stabilize soil erosion. That's a great usage for trees. They do a very good job at it, but then also kind of stacking your functions within that thought. So you're creating shade, you're lowering temperature. Like I know in our last session, we talked about cooling your house and the benefits of energy savings, but then also adding in the function of edibility or medicinal value. You know, if you're farther out on your property, if you have enough property to do so, you can do a sort of woodlot or something where you're actually harvesting lumber from that or firewood you mm -hmm. know like i know a lot of us in santa fe use our wood stoves through the winter right and so that's a nice way to do that were you the one who mentioned to me the possibility of eating only from trees yeah yeah so I what's mean, that I think, about like, so like this book that i'm reading the tree crops book he talks about butter supplements with like pecans and walnuts and you know as far as getting fats carbohydrates proteins all of that there's a lot of different nut trees that can cover a lot of those bases. And then you have trees, fruit trees like uh, like your mulberry actually has some protein in it and mm -hmm. carbohydrates. A lot of our land usage right now is in, you know, corn, soy, wheat, all those cereal grains that are often annuals as well. So you're kind of exposing that soil every year or every, unless you're cover cropping, which is a great practice, but trees are kind of a permanent cover crop that mm -hmm. would just stabilize that soil, enrich the soil, the roots go in and start doing their thing and getting the microbial activity going. So what would that look like if we moved a huge section of our crops away from cereal grains? Right. And what if we did find a way to do that with trees? Because trees, I mean, they're huge. So mm -hmm. depending on what yeah. tree, you could get so much from one tree, right? Right, right. And, you know, it'd probably be, well, totally depending on the species but you can do some layering in it. I would think if you went full-blown commercial and you wanted to be harvesting at peak of it, like let's say you're doing honey locust, you know, like we that grows really well here. We have a New Mexico locust that, you know, is a native um, and honey locust does just fantastic as well. And those are actually, uh, you know, they produce these long pods. They're leguminous. They don't fix as much nitrogen as some other legumes, but um, there is some nitrogen fixation that occurs. So you'd be harvesting all of these drying bean pods as they're falling mm -hmm. and um, feeding them to ruminant animals. So instead of having your fields of corn or wheat or soy, whatever it may, you know, a lot of the corn goes to feedlots, right? And instead of maybe creating bushels of corn or, or bags or sacks or whatever, it's now bean pods from a tree. So using the different types of crops, and obviously some are better, like a mulberry, if you wanted to feed your chickens or your pigs mulberries, it'd be more more effective to probably have that tree on your property as the farmer. But if you want to have your animals moving mm -hmm. around and room to graze and roam, you can just kind of incorporate 
trees into that landscape rather than your stereotypical pasture. You might have a copse of trees somewhere and then some grassland, you know, kind of mixing it up a little bit more. Yeah, that makes sense. More fun too. And it also enables you to do a lot more on varying elevations, That's you know, a great different point. slopes. So right now, you know, you can't really do, well, you can do corn on a slope, but you're going to lose a lot of your soil. So you're saying you plant your trees throughout the different terrain and then yeah. maybe yeah. it's tiered or whatever, but that's going to prevent the erosion and mm-hmm. make it more possible mm-hmm. to get a variety yeah. of foods for your animals. Again, it's it's that perennial nature of it that really protects your soil. Those roots aren't going anywhere. And if you think about from a, a labor aspect, you're only planting it once. You know, you might have some die off from something or another, but also increasing your diversity of plantings will will help mitigate pests and disease issues, I would think. so. Corn, wheat, all that, they're, the whole crop is removed every single year. Correct, yeah. Yeah, well, and it's, it's very interesting, you know, in a lot of cases, crops like beans that are conventionally grown are actually sprayed with an herbicide directly before harvest, because that will kill off the entire plant. Then you come through with your combine or your, you know, gigantic machine and and pick it all up and they fall out much more easily when they're dried. So they'll be killed, dried, and then harvested. And you're talking about glyphosate, right? Glyphosate, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's more of during the growing phase that that's applied, you know. But but there's plenty of other things that you don't necessarily want on your, you know, your food or the food that's going to the Mm -hmm. animals that we eat. And I bet that having more perennials in your yard is going to prevent, like if you do have residue from other people who mm-hmm, might have owned the property mm-hmm. before you who are using yeah. herbicide and pesticides, then maybe having mm-hmm. the fungi around the roots in perennial plants is going to help mitigate that, maybe remove it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the fungi, the earthworms, all of those different things that are happening, a lot of that's able to process the undesirable things that are maybe in your soil lingering from before or, you know, accidentally. Like we just had this this flood back yeah. in July and that, you know, I know that that washed a lot of stuff into our soils. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of thinking about the myco remediation, mm-hmm. doing mushrooms or things like that. How can I get more of that activity going and, and more things eating the thing, things that are undesirable in my soil and processing that. Can you speak a little bit more about water? Yeah, water. It's super important. It's we're all we all need it. We're all made of it in some regard or, you know, most things on the planet. But I mean, the property in New Mexico being a very dr- sunny, dry place it's literally the value of land will like be tenfold or twentyfold if you're next to right, right. a river or an acequia, right? So, I mean, but are there technologies that make it so that we really in this day and age can farm anywhere? Um, you know, I think that it's really going to be back to that perennial agriculture model where you have those permanent roots. You have, you know, trees will actually stretch the roots down so far that they're bringing up nutrients and water and they create more of that vertical mobility within your soil. Mm -hmm. So all of those plants, you know, even maybe even more so than grasslands, but kind of getting your surface to where, like, I'm a big fan of mulch. I'm sure a lot of folks heard about that in the last episode I was here for. And, you know, that's just one of the best ways. It's, It's nothing really new, just increasing that sponginess of your soil. And so then when you get rain, the soil is utilizing it rather than all of it running off and turning into a flash flood like we had back in July. Right. And we're just so sandy sometimes that we need that organic matter for anything to grow. But Mm -hmm. I mean, also the variety of naturally occurring microbes in all plants, right? Right, So if you mulch everything, then the variety of local microbes that could take root in your yard and thrive Mm -hmm. are going to be much 
greater. Totally. Yeah. And, and other things like doing small scale earthworks, like little catchment structures like berms and swales or things like that. Brad Lancaster mm-hmm. over in Arizona does a lot of really cool stuff with rainwater harvesting. And one of the things that I think it was him that kind of coined this phrase, but it's slow it, spread it, sink it. So as the water comes down, you just want to, you want to really stop it where it is. You want it to go down as far as it can go and you want to spread it out, decrease the velocity of it and um, kind of that sheet flow effect that might end up taking some of your soil away. So as far as farming and in dry lands and things like that, I think it's really about creating that addition of organic matter into your soil and then managing where your water goes and and just avoiding runoff at at all costs, trying to capture all of that. So it's all about roots. Yeah. Now in your business, are you helping a lot of people with water related problems? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I've done quite a bit this season, especially post-flood in July. There were quite a few folks who had damage to their house, water in the home, things like that, or they just realized what happens when we get an event, like a a quote-unquote thousand-year event like we got. Because you you really don't think about it. You can be at a property for 50 years, and all of a sudden you have something happen, and you just you never designed for it you never thought about it so i like i tend to over engineer a lot of things as far as working with clients so that way we never get disappointed and Uh have something fail on us so what would that look like some of the things that i'm doing now like pumice wicks are a really cool thing so you can kind of um you put gutters on the house or, or however you're capturing the roof runoff and then that will go down into a pvc tube that goes down into the ground at a slope and that and, and so that all is sunk in a trench below the ground and lined with, you know, some sort of permeable deal that's going to keep roots out, but it's also going to let the water out. So as the water goes into this PVC pipe, there's holes drilled down the length of the pipe and it can escape. So kind of think French drain. I was just going to say it. But then it's, but it's in a two by two trench that's filled with volcanic pumice which we're cool. we're very fortunate uh the Hemes mountains near here are one of the only i believe one of the only locations that that is kind of occurring um so it's a local resource for us which is kind of nice you don't have to have it shipped in from across the world but uh it, it you know it's mostly airspace yeah so then as that water drains out from the pvc tube it's going to fill up that trench and then it's going to slowly leach out to your plants over time if you get a big rain it might fill up that trench and then it might not fully dry out inside the trench for two months wow and it so, also seems like it might be the perfect vehicle for microbial growth right oh absolutely yeah because then you can get a really luscious root zone going around you know the the edges of that trench so you'll kind of you can do that into a planting bed you can do it underneath raised beds all sorts of different things and and then you would ideally plant around that and the roots can kind of stretch and and get that moisture as it comes out of the trench so cool well yeah so i personally am very interested in landscaping you know Mm -hmm. ornamentals as well but what about for using those methods for growing food oh it's yeah i mean um it's been done with raised beds where you just have kind of a little fill-up hole sticking up out of like a little pipe sticking up out of your raised bed and so you know once a week or once a month whatever it may be depending on how big you design the the trench to be you can have a full reservoir a pumice reservoir below your raised bed which I know a lot of people like the raised beds here just because our soil tends to be alkaline, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit depleted of, well, probably a lot of depleted of a lot of things, but particularly organic matter. And so sometimes it's easier to just start from scratch, throw in some good soil, and then kind of keep that going Plus for, all for the vegetable production. Animals that love to nibble. Right, right, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so you can do one of those pumice, like a micro pumice wick 
just underneath that bed um, and then the roots will kind of stretch down throughout the season and you still do have to water on top as well mm-hmm. um, but once you get towards the end when you're you really want all the fruit and you know the goodies to develop all your peppers and tomatoes you want them to have that water and the roots are more established that's so, so cool yeah I wonder what would happen if you had that pumice wick underneath a uh, hoop house yeah because you could create your own microenvironment yeah. probably not right. even have to water it I don't know that's actually really interesting I don't know if that's I haven't heard of that being been done but um because my in my friend's that would be hoop it. house it literally rains yeah yeah it gets pretty hot mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. i mean but during those times they cross ventilate right but it still right. contains so much moisture in there yeah and the runoff goes into i mean it could go into those underground pumice. totally yeah well i mean i'm sure that would do wonders for the humidity levels too if you oh, wanted yeah. to do something like ginger turmeric or you know something a little more exotic in a controlled environment and also for our extremely dry winters you know but another application that those have been used for is actually gray water and black water oh. processing as well similar to like a septic yeah yeah if you want to go you know the off-grid route and kind of just have your own setup as far as your septic it's not necessarily storing everything in a tank that has to be pumped but you would direct it all out via one of those uh-huh. deals and and i don't install those for clients unfortunately not not yet anyways one but, day <laughs> um, yeah it's a it's a very interesting thing to think about because then you also get you know that breakdown again you're putting something maybe less desirable in your soil but through the biological processes that are occurring microbial and and root wise and otherwise you're processing all of that into yeah. something that's very beneficial we're very cutting edge i think in new mexico at mm-hmm. least it seems like it with gardeners and we water systems really right otherwise yeah. it could be literally running out of water and mm-hmm. and yep. so the systems that people have to use also i mean they might have financial reasons for doing that but mm-hmm. maybe we're also going to be cutting edge eventually on black water right right well i mean there's a lot of cultures that have developed systems for treating black water due to to isolation or things like you know you think about your composting toilets and all of those things but it really can be quite a beneficial substance as long as you handle it properly and don't expose yourself to pathogens that might be harmful. I actually heard that a lot of people uh, build outhouses and don't uh-huh. know what they're doing and they oh, don't cross ventilate the bottom part and uh-huh. they explode. Wow. Have you heard about that? Is that from the methane then? Yeah. Or, yeah, I haven't. I mean, well, and then you think about biodigesters. What if you could hook up? Uh, are you familiar with those at all? Is that like a very microbially active thing that you could put anything into? Like, Well, it's like a, it's like a giant balloon. So you would kind of funnel all of your black water and what have you, all of that stuff with that that's rich in that methane that's going to be released, and you literally capture it oh, in the okay. above the tank that you're holding it in. I worked in a, at a farm down in Costa Rica that harvested all of the methane from their dairy, their pigs, their sheep, all of that. And well, actually, it was one of my jobs to make sure that whole system was running smoothly. Uh-huh. But it was a series of almost think like a rainwater cistern collection where you have all of your little downspouts or canales coming off the house, draining to a sister and it was like that but from each of the different barns and then all of their cooking gas was methane that's amazing i've heard about that and i know in washington state they're doing that on the garbage dump they're collecting in a large scale but i never could understand or i at least i at least didn't really believe that they could collect enough off of that but Mm -hmm, maybe they mm -hmm. can so what was happening in costa rica um i mean it was enough to run 
It's like a fully functional, I'm not exactly sure as far as the volume, but you know, it was running a fully functional kind of eco lodge, uh, intentional community type deal. And there was probably 150 to 200 people there uh, between volunteers, employees, guests, all of that. You know, it was cooking three square meals That's a day with, with zero input besides what came from the animals. So Wow, so just animal cool. waste, nothing else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, once all of that has brewed for a while in that vat, you would pump that out into a little tanker and take that out into the fields and spray that as a fertilizer for the cattle. How cool. Um, out in the pasture. So, wow, pretty interesting. Yeah. So, subject of different types of trees, uh-huh, I think that uh-huh. would be interesting because you did mention some people do use wood off their own property for mm-hmm, fuel mm-hmm. for their house to warm it in the right, winter. Right, right. It yep. seems like one would need like a lot of space for that to happen, right? Yeah. But maybe um, the variety of trees that they could plant, you know, some are going to be for food, a variety of different trees that work right. at a lot of different climate zones, something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically with trees and forests and all of that in general, like you can kind of get into different types or biomes, you know, of naturally occurring species that like to hang out together. But I think general rule of thumb is just the more biodiversity, the more resilient your landscape's going to be, the more uses you're going to get out of it. And quite frankly, the more beautiful it's going to be too. You have all of these different things happening, you know, but you, you think about what are our, what are our needs? You have, you know, food, fuel, fiber, medicine, all of those, like all of those things can come from trees. And, you know, so you might do, you, like here we have the Russian olives and yeah. the Siberian elms, which are very pervasive. I, I'm kind of a fan of them just because it's shade and we need shade um, and we need roots in the ground, like we were talking about and earlier. And aren't they good for your animals? They are good for your, goats love Siberian elms actually it's very interesting um but if you ever i don't know if there's any here but i know that some folks are doing uh goatscaping now oh yeah we had amanita thorpe was on the podcast she has a horned locust goatscaping company she's like a huge herd of goats that's really cool I always kind of joked about that, and then I found out that it was actually a real thing, and it works, which, you know, I'm sure they do a fantastic job. Oh, yeah. I just think that there's a huge problem with spraying chemicals in the areas where they need goatscaping the most. It might be, like, uh, she was hired I by El Dorado, but they've already used chemical remediation, so uh, yeah. I don't know what will happen to, you know, she's probably... Probably waiting a few yeah, years exactly. to do that job. exactly. Interesting. But, but, you know, so kind of back to what we're using the trees for, some of those invasives might be desirable to just, you know, you might let them go. Like I'm letting a lot of, you know, I'm kind of planting an understory for the future Mm -hmm. for myself of of edible things, fruits and nuts and all of that. But as far as the invasives, why not let them, you know, continue to shade and create this microclimate. And then when you're ready, you can cut them down and use that for wood use that for you know fuel for the winter or tool handles or it's going to depend on the species obviously as far as what uses you can get out of them and actually i realized last year that russian olive does smell quite strongly when when burns. oh really um, not in a pleasant way uh but you know if it's all going up the chimney then uh-huh. it doesn't doesn't really bother me too much i mean that's a lot of labor of course like someone listening who's homesteading they're gonna be like rolling their eyes i don't need to go spend all my days cutting down wood right right well and it's it's more of uh it's a byproduct of the design process, I'm finding. So if you want to ultimately create some sort of food forest or, or edible uh, landscaping at your place and you have all of this super dense, can't even walk through it forest, why not 
utilize that rather than, you know, what else do you do? You chop it down, take it to the dump. Do you chop it down and make piles and burn it? Like I grew up in my family where we would go out and trim trees and we would cut back the invasives, the, you know, good old buckthorn up in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And you would just make these huge burn piles and you're not, you're not even burning it in your house. You're just burning it to to get rid of it. But is it producing Um, anything that's beneficial for the garden? Like the char? it, It does a little bit. Yeah. Although here, if you were to burn something on that scale, all of that wood ash would actually alkalize your soil, I believe. Oh yeah. So further alkalize the soil. So I don't, really see it as a desirable option for New Mexico. That makes sense. But, um, yeah, other places maybe so. If you have insanely acidic soil or you wanted to collect the ash or make biochar mm-hmm. or something like that. But, um, you know, so my thing is I just kind of go along, pile it up, and then come back through and, and cut it into firewood-sized pieces. And a lot of my clients don't either maybe don't have a wood stove or something like that, but I do do a lot of juniper and pinon trimming just for fire safety, uh-huh. you know, trimming up the lower ladder branches. Is it easy to do chip? Because isn't that a good ground cover to... Oh, well, I mean, it's... Uh, it's very easy once you have the chipper, but chippers tend to be very expensive to rent and also tend to have a lot of uh, mechanical issues. So you're not doing so, that for people. You're well, avoiding I mean, it. I've, I've, I have done it for my property, you know, just for the first few years that we've been there just to, cause we had so much wood that there was no way we were going to burn through it. And we did have some depleted soil areas where I wanted to add organic matter. So it made sense. You know, I, kind of got some of the neighbors volunteered to help and you know you just feed everyone and get a big crew together and just keep shoving it through but for your typical homeowner if you only have two or three trees that need trimming you're probably better off making kindling or firewood totally. out of it rather than chipping it we have that all that nice free mulch from the dump uh-huh. um or the, our transfer station here which which i'm a big oh yeah that's of, right so, so yeah. you did mention that before mm-hmm. so yeah. you can go there and people are dropping off their yard waste right, right. so people who right. are they're not on board yet with keeping the leaves. You can literally, if yeah. you don't have trees, go and get the leaves yourself. Right, right. Well, and we talked about how it kind of speeds up that decomposition process when they're chopped up. Mm-hmm. Well, the dump is running it all through an industrial-sized chipper wow. for free. And then you just show up, and if you want to you know, pay a little bit, they'll load you. If you don't want to pay for it, um, then you just go and hand load it. It's amazing. You know? and, and if you don't have a truck, find a neighbor who has a pickup truck or rent a U-Haul mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. You could literally load your whole yard up and then be good to go yeah exactly so i'm a big fan of that i kind of just you know we don't have trash service where i live so every time i take my trash to the dump i just go through and pick up a yard and a half or two of mulch and just make piles and kind of just keep this continuous mulching process going because i I really don't think you can have i don't think you can ever have too much mulch especially in new mexico totally so makes sense well so Mm -hmm. one last thing that came to my mind is when i was at the farmer's market they would constantly Mm -hmm. reject the idea of getting landscaping plants because i was selling landscaping plants and Uh they were uh like well we've got first of all our soil's messed up nothing will grow i mean that people will say that which i roll my eyes at because Uh i mean there's simple ways that you can get things to grow and then also they say rabbits or gophers rabbits Mm. might or deer. Uh-huh, so like, what are some, uh-huh. do people complain about the animals to you? And what do you suggest to those people? Yeah. So, it, you know, depending, I've also, I've noticed that it's very dependent on our precipitation as far as the year goes. Like last year we had kind of that drought and then we had a good monsoon season, but the gopher pressure was unbelievable last spring. They were starving, I, right? I've never had, yeah. And, and, you know, the plants are probably slowing down with less water. There's just less stuff to eat, less of the annual weeds 
that we think of popping up in the spring and things like that are not coming up because they're not getting good rains or there wasn't a good snowpack or, you know, whatever it may be. So then they're going to turn to the homeowner who has this nice irrigated landscape with all these, you know, it's kind of like a, a all you can eat salad bar. But uh, so one thing that I recommend to people is using blood meal. It's actually, I believe it's a byproduct of the uh, cattle industry and it's actually just a dehydrated powdered blood. Oh, okay. Um, and so it does add, I believe it's a low dose of nitrogen. Um, and, and maybe some phosphorus too. I'm trying to remember exactly what it is, but regardless, it's a low enough dosage that, um, you know, you can apply it pretty liberally and not worry about shocking any plants or burning anything. Um, and you know, animal, uh, herbivores really don't like the smell of blood. So it does not attract them at all. So you kind of walk through the yard and, and throw that down, give everything a little dusting. And then when the gophers come, it smells like, not like their food. Okay. You know, it's, it smells like uh, something that a carnivore might like. So I'm reading right now, it says that it's 1200, so it's super nitrogen rich. Yeah. Although 12 is, you know, it's not going to blow anything out of the water as far as your plants that are already there mm-hmm. and established. Maybe don't go so heavy on it with the new plantings, but you know, you can kind so you can kind of do like a little perimeter walk. It's not very expensive. Just get a bag of it, grab it by the handful and just, you know, sprinkle it in kind of a little invisible fence around your yard. And that should help with a lot of stuff. If there's any problem plants in particular, you could maybe do a, you know, second application in the immediate vicinity of that plant. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of just a natural process. And I, try to think you know like in permaculture they they always say the problem is the solution so if you're just super upset with it try and look up plants that gophers maybe aren't attracted to like i know daffodils are toxic to them so you can use those as kind of they'll call it a barrier plant or a fortress plant and you can plant that around something else to deter things from from going at the more desirable plant but you know it's it's just one of those things where it's part of nature and they're aerating the soil they're they're actually making great tunnels for when you get rain if you think about it. That rain can just cruise right down those tunnels. and You should fill the tunnels with pumice rock. <laughs> you could. You, yeah, maybe you could hire them. I don't know. But yeah, so it kind of, it does have some positive effects, especially with precipitation, getting the moisture down farther. That uh, makes sense. Well, the redneck listeners, if there are any, they're going to think <laughs> that the in the problem is the solution. They're going to start eating the gophers. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see how that goes for somebody. My name is John Romans, and uh, I'm the owner of Future Roots Regenerative Landscaping, and we do a little bit of everything. We do stormwater management, passive water catchment, uh, hardscape, softscape, irrigation, you know, anything you can think of landscape-related. And also, if you just want to talk about your landscape, we're happy to come out and, you know, just consult and talk plants, and I'm a bit of a plant nerd myself, so it's awesome. uh, if you can't tell. (laughs) And you create raised bed gardens for people. Absolutely, yeah. It's really great to see a lot of people more interested in growing their own food and kind of return to self-sufficiency, which I'm a big fan of. Well, you did mention designing cement. Yeah, we do a lot of custom stonework. And, you know, we're kind of a design, install, and maintain. So we'll do everything the whole way through. If you just have a blank slate, we're happy to help with that. If you have an already established landscape and want to add something, a water feature or a patio or anything like that, we're always happy to help. You know, we do a lot of stuff in the Santa Fe area. So El Dorado, Tsuke, down Rio Rancho area. My phone number is 608-212-3311. And our email is futurerootslandscapes at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you, John. Cool. Thanks, Aaron.